So you're in film? I am, yes. Um, I'm in the MAP program at the University of Regina, which is Media, Art, and Performance, um, which is the only place that has that, to my knowledge, that isn't out of uh, province. Um, so the U of S, I would have gone to the U of S, but it doesn't have like a proper film program. And I wanted film specifically. What's a proper film program? Um, where, so I'm going for a four-year degree, a Bachelor of Fine Arts, majoring in film production. That isn't an option. There's only a Bachelor of Fine Arts at the U of S. So majoring in film production is what I wanted. And it basically entails that we have proper equipment that's set aside for us. We're not borrowing anyone else's. We're not taking anything from anyone else or or having to rent out other people's rooms or anything like that. We have an actual like dedicated section of campus that is for us. We actually have two studios. Oh, so what's involved in a film studio? Well, the one that we've got, I mean, not, not all of them are like this, but the one we have has a bunch of curtains that you kind of move into place. So there's... The, fur- the furthest um, layer is black curtains. So you can just have a sort of completely black room. And then uh, pa- just past that is a sort of um, beige or tan uh, curtain so that you can kind of mimic like maybe the inside of a wall or something like an interior. And then finally we have uh, a green screen that is a green screen curtain that's behind all of that. So you move them out of the way and then you sort of line up your shot within there. It's just a big open space. Um, and then off to the right, uh, you have like tables and whatnot and, and chairs, but that's cause it's, it's also doubles as like a classroom. So like we'll sit in the class and we'll listen to lecture and whatnot, but then we'll go over and we'll do something at the studio end, um, and kind of maybe make a block a scene or something, make a scene. Oh, so what's blocking a scene? So blocking um, is basically the placement of everything. Everything. So if we were blocking this and we placed everything on the table in this scene, we would we would make sure that it does not move in between, like cutting the camera and whatnot. Because if it moves when you cut the camera, that's breaking uh, the illusion. It's um, continuity. Continuity. Yeah, you're breaking continuity. If so, if if this. So that the tissue box goes like that. That's breaking continuity and people can notice that. And then it's an editing nightmare. So you just have to place things exactly where they need to be and make sure that they never move. So, but of course it's, that's more with like the smaller details that are a little bit noticeable, but like things like a table, you're not really going to be worried about it moving around. You just pick a good spot for it and then put your camera set up around that or better yet, put down your cameras and then build the set around where they can be so that it's just easier to, to sort of film around them. Okay. So what's the normal procedure? Is it set the objects or set the camera? The way that we've done it was we filmed something for continuity editing, um, where we had to edit together a master shot, which is a full shot of two actors where you can see both of them in the scene. And then a, an over shoulder, like, um, or sorry, shot reverse shot, where you have one shot of a character and then 
the reverse shot of the other character. So what's that? It's basically just in dialogue scenes. Generally, when you when you're watching a dialogue scene, it opens with the master shot, which um, establishes the two characters sort of sitting in this area or ta- standing in this area, wherever they are. It establishes those two being together, and then it cuts in close so we can hear their dialogue better. And it starts with one guy talking over here, and then it cuts to the other guy talking over here, usually from uh, left to right. But of course, right to left is perfectly fine as well. But there is something um, called the 180 degree rule, which you don't want to break. It's when, so when you have the two actors. So let's say the actors are in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. If you have the two actors here. Yeah. And you are the one with the camera. They're here. You can go at maximum behind either one of them. You can't go over 180 degrees to the other side. So you can't come over here. Because okay. because it just kind of disorients the, the audience. It makes them like, oh, hold on. Where was everything? It kind of mixes things up. And it's like, where where was? I thought that they were just over there kind of thing. So some people get confused. So if there's two actors in front of me, yeah, I can almost imagine it as if there's a pane of glass between me and the other side of them. Yeah. Okay. Like, but imagine it like goes through them. Like there's an imaginary line between them. Yeah. You can't cross that line. Yeah. But, unless... I, but I can film from any area in front yeah. of that line. Yeah. Any area in like that semi-circle kind of thing. Because you want it still to be within a reasonable distance. Yeah. But not, not going past that line. Yeah. Um, but again, unless you're filming something like a psychological horror where one of the characters is just very kind of not really lucid and is kind of disoriented. disoriented. Yeah. So you can flip back and forth over that line and it, and it messes with the audience too, because they're, they're like, Oh, Whoa, this is like, okay. So then they start getting kind of anxious and stuff. Yeah. That never Um, happens in the real world. We're never switching to the other side of the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it disorients the character along with the audience. So they get, it's just immersion. It's great. But yeah, we were doing that. Uh, we were doing continuity editing, uh, shot reverse shot, master shot, where we were, we set up a table and we had our beige curtains on. So it was just like the inside of like, I think a psychiatric ward was where we were setting the scene. We had a table set up. We had two chairs. So let's say that this is, this is our table here. I'm just using the Kleenex box. We have our table, two actors, and then camera. So we filmed our master shot of them too. Uh, and we had them go through their dialogue. So another important thing is making sure that your actors are consistent in their performance as well. Because if they kind of go high on like some words in one shot, but are kind of going low on the same words in another shot, it's just kind of a nightmare to edit together because it doesn't flow as well but if they keep their their lines exactly consistent um then it's then it works perfectly so you need the consistent tone consistent cadence yes yeah because if i mean obviously it's okay you can't say things like exactly the same every time right but But close enough that's what you're yeah yes yeah you need to have um and the same thing if you're fidgeting if your actor decides to do like a fidget in a scene, like if I decide to touch scratch, yeah, scratch my nose or, or like touch my ear or something, I have to do that every take 
in a similar manner, not the exact same, but a similar manner to where it can be edited um, together. Yeah. Yeah. It's, That's a it's, lot of stuff. It's very, yeah. And I think I've found, because I've also done acting stuff, right? More than memorization, it's more about consistency. As long as you're consistent with what you're doing, rather than having to memorize everything you do. Because, yeah, you can change it to, I mean, of course, unless your director is kind of a real pain in the ass. You can usually, I allow my actors to kind of go off the cuff a little bit if it kind of fits their character or it just helps them out. I let them go off the cuff. If they let you kind of do what works for you, you just have to keep doing that rather than than memorizing a line down to it being engraved in your optic nerve kind of thing you know <laughs> just just keep keep um being consistent with what you're doing and yeah. so if, as like, long as you're in the general ballpark or the general direction some directors will allow you to do that oh yeah yeah hell they'll um well some of them will even just let you completely ad-lib like your dialogue um some of them i don't think i don't think i would ever do that except in some of the comedy stuff that we've done, uh, my friends and I, um, see, we made a, obviously uh, we made a, a mockumentary, um, called mysterious Mr. Green. And it's about this mysterious guy who lives under the bed of my character. And we had no script for that. So we just came up with a bunch of weird and, um, gross things that Mr. Green does. Um, just to kind of make him even more um, strange. Strange, exactly. For example, there, my character brings up that not every time they eat, but sometimes when they eat, he will, instead of like, you know, chewing, he'll just spit out like acid and melt down the food and then drink it. But he doesn't do that every time. So it's like weird that he does that he sneaks into one of the guy other guy's rooms and and the guy mr green goes in with the, his cigars and like uses him as an ashtray in this in his sleep oh. so like just a bunch of weird things that was the most scripted part of it was just the list of weird things um like we spoke to one of because i lived on campus uh for my first year we lived in kissick and obviously if you're on campus you've got ras what's an ra so an RA, it's basically like your building kind of security, but not really. Like they just kind of help you out if like you're having trouble with your roommates or if you want to like move out of your room kind of thing. They're, they're just kind of general general helpers. Um, they're also students usually. So with this film, what rules do you have to follow when you're shooting? Like in terms of it being a mockumentary? Well, more so you have that 180 degree rule. What other rules are there? The 30 degree rule slash 20 uh 20 millimeter i think rule i might be remembering that wrong but i got it right on the test is all that matters <laughs> so what's the general concept of it when you're moving in closer to an actor so say for example that sort of master shot of our actors where we're kind of far away from them but we can see both of them when you're moving in closer you have to move at least 20 millimeters over to either side and um change your focal length by 30 degrees i think or wait you or no move, you, ang you, move, you ang you move yes 30 degrees and change you, your focal yeah, length you, by 20 yeah millimeters? you have to move by 30 degrees and change your yeah your focal length by 
20 millimeters by 20 millimeters it's basically just making it so that's a smoother transition it doesn't feel like a jump cut it feels like you moved there naturally and it doesn't break um immersion okay but if you if you just sort of cut to the actor like if you master shot cut to the actor it feels like it feels way more edited but you know when you're sitting down in a movie it doesn't feel you don't notice the cuts so you would cut to the actor still, but it would be, you'd change the lens or the focal length. Yeah. And, and you'd, you'd transition 30 degrees. Yeah. Just over a little bit or, or closer to them a little bit, just any way. Yeah. You have to move it just a little bit. It can't be just straight on. Yeah, exactly. Just like, cause if it's just the same shot as the master shot, but moved closer, it just doesn't look right. It, you notice it, right? You're like, well, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. But I guess when a film's made properly, you don't notice any of it. Yeah. No, no. It's, it's all... It all just flows uh, together. So what made you want to get into film? I don't think I actually have a specific reason. I I know that I've I've loved movies ever since I was a kid. There was just something that drew me towards them, you know. Honestly, I think it was like special effects that really brought me into it. So, you know, movies like, like Gremlins and uh, like Indiana Jones. So I had loved movies ever since I was a kid, but then around grade nine... I started and I had been making YouTube videos for like ever since since grade five. Um, and I had a couple that I made even before that in like grade two, but those are like lost to time. I have no clue where those went. I don't even know the account, what it's named. Uh, it's just, it's gone. Yeah, I had started um, YouTube in with my proper account in 2016. So uh, on July... I want to say 17th is going to be my six year or seven year anniversary of my YouTube channel. Um, and not like consistent daily uploads kind of thing, but like uploading quite often. Like I've got over, over a hundred videos. What have you learned along the way? Never film in vertical. (laughs) (laughs) If you're using your phone, never film in vertical because it just looks so unprofessional. Always do landscape, horizontal, whatever you want to call it. Just don't film <laughs> in vertical. And keep the damn thing still. Keep the camera still. Because I'm always, generally when I'm doing my YouTube videos, I'm usually the cameraman. Keep it still. Keep the thing still. Because if you're moving around all the time, it's like, yeah, I don't even want to watch this. Oh. So, so you have to be stable with it. Exactly. Because like, if you're not getting anything that's intelligible in the shot, it's like, okay, it's just boring. Like, it's nothing visually pleasing about this. Like, maybe, yeah, you're saying, like, a joke or something that's kind of funny, but... It's so disorienting already. Exactly. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to watch this. I guess the first ones that were done by me was was called Clown Hunting with Friends, because 2016 was when there were the whole killer, cr- killer clown, like, craze. People were dressing up as clowns and running after people, chasing them. And what? Them. When did, in 2016? <laughs> yeah. What? In where? everywhere everywhere it was like worldwide it was uh people were dressing up as clowns and like scaring just people oh, oh not killing people. scaring not people. killing okay, but they were dressing scare. up as killer clowns oh, okay know? when you said killer i assumed literal uh, no no okay um yeah i don't know what st- I don't know this what. makes more sense the reason I, it was not brought to my attention yeah i don't know what started that exactly <laughs> yeah. but how was uh, getting into film school compared to doing everything on your own easier (laughs) it's a lot easier to to just apply for something like that like even i haven't used student loans yet i've been i've been lucky enough that i've had 
had enough uh, money. I, thanks, Uncle Mike. <laughs> um, so, but like, it's it's as simple as just signing up and like going in for classes. And uh, if you need to take a loan out, take a loan out, pay for the classes. It's seriously, it's so helpful. And even if it isn't helpful, like if you don't learn something that's new, it's fun. It's just enjoyable to do. It's nice. It's, uh, there's lots of people that you meet with the same interests as you. Um, like three of my roommates were all film majors. Oh, so from here, they went down with you? Uh, no, I, I had never met them before. Um, so my buddy Ryder, he's from Langenberg. Slate is from Swift Current. Uh, he's a theater major, actually. So he's he's the actor to our three, our three-headed director here. <laughs> and Aiden is from Kindersley. All of those guys, you're roommates with them now. Yes, on yeah. campus. Uh, we're finding a place like a, like an actual apartment. Oh, wonderful! Um, as we speak. Hey, uh, how was it transitioning from moving out on your own? It wasn't that it wasn't that bad, honestly. Because for the last, I think, for the last three years of high school. I was kind of not living on my own per se, but I was really doing my own thing. Like I, my room is, it's in the basement. It's off to the side kind of thing. It's um, very uh, out of the way kind of thing. And I just do my own thing in there and, and nobody bothers me kind of thing. And so you're sort of already living on your own. Exactly. I was basically, yeah, I didn't want to outright say like, oh, I'm already living alone kind of thing because because it, it sounds like kind of like lonely and it's like oh wow you've got shitty people that you're living with but like no, <laughs> no they're, but you're they're, they're fine out, yeah. you're able to carve out your own space is what you're saying exactly yeah they were perfectly they were they were pe- perfectly fine to live with right um they just didn't bother me that's yeah. that's all right so i i was all, just allowed to do my own thing and my own thing was generally being on my own so honestly it wasn't that much that different because it was uh uh, other than the fact that it wasn't, instead of having like family or or little kids running around in in my apartment, it was just other people my age who were interested in the exact same things as me. So it was like absolute gold. It was perfect. It was amazing. Um, I was, yeah, I was really excited. Yeah, that sounds pretty yeah, legit. It's fun, and it's easy to talk to them because they know all the same terminology. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's crazy though. I don't know how Aiden like has not watched like any movies. <laughs> it's crazy. Aiden has not watched like anything. It's nuts. I don't know how. So He's... what what hasn't he watched that's popular? He hadn't watched Phantom of the Opera, which is uh, a, a person. I guess I guess all the things that that <laughs> I consider a must watch. I'm sorry, man. It's not what everyone else considers I, the most. I've watch. never I, seen it, and I just found out that the Phantom of the Opera is a monster. He kidnapped that girl. Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought they fell in love, and it was a happy ending story. Oh, oh, I yeah, don't know anything no. else. No, it's I, specifically the Joel Schumacher one, which is like an actual movie. Like the rest of them are on Broadway, right? And like like plays and whatnot. It's like okay, that's like musicals. Okay, that's fair. But there was like a whole huge budget movie made by, directed by Joel Schumacher. Like, how do you miss that? It's huge. I guess, and I guess another thing is like, I've watched a ton of movies, like more than the average individual as well. So, so when I make my frankly obscure references to some movies and then, and then like, I've never heard of that. And it's like, 
I can't really get mad about it. It's like, okay, well, fine. I've been, <laughs> I've been like you. glued to a screen since I was like three, like watching <laughs> movies, you know? Yeah. So, You're into them. You're into them. Exactly. What are some cool shots you enjoy seeing in the movies? Anything that spins. I really like, so for example, there's a shot in a movie, uh, Evil Dead 2, where Ash falls on the ground, the main character falls on the ground, and the camera like spins up into the air away from him, like, and oh, while still pointing down, yes, and it spins up, yes. Um, and I guess a more um, mainstream example of that, not that Evil Dead isn't mainstream, especially nowadays, because the new Evil Dead just came out, uh, which I watched and was really, it was really good, but a more mainstream example of that would be in Black Panther. When um, Killmonger is on the throne, it has that kind of spinning as it it starts here, like near him, and then it spins as it pulls away to go upside down because now they're it's 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 really I really like spinning motion because it can be used to show how much a dynamic has changed like completely. Oh, so, yeah. So yeah. because Killmonger, who's the villain of the film, he's in control of the country now, that spins the whole thing. It just flips it on its head kind so of thing. So then it goes upside down. It's like, oh, so shit, that's a, things are bad now. That's a good way to show it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, what else? I like I like kind of in-camera editing as well, where you can, you can, you don't have to use like an editing program to make it look good. So like, I um like a swish pan. A swish pan is where you start off at one point and then you pan really fast. Yeah. To the to a different point. So I for I guess for example, I guess in my fifth assignment, my final assignment for film two hundred, I used a swish pan and I was the main actor in both the shots. <laughs> so I would my character would walk into the room, say his dialogue swish pan to me on laying on the bed and all we had to do was start the shot on me swish it over to the bed the bed's empty start the shot on me on the bed swish it over to where i would have been standing um and then so swishing it's a very it's it's pretty much the equivalent of me turning my head quickly to look at something exactly it kind of it kind of it blurs it blur yeah it blurs your vision as you move it you kind of like okay gotcha so um it does that in in the lens as well it blurs as you move it fast enough it's also which makes it also really easy to cut into because if it's if you're panning slow again you have to be doing continuity right oh right but if you're swishing it hi- everything it everything that. everything everything blends together everything looks the same and it's all stretched and blurred right like it all looks yeah definitely not in focus so it's way easier to meld together um so i guess in camera isn't the best way to describe that swish pan because they are at least with that one because they are two different shots but if you play them together it looks it looks seamless if you if you um yeah there's not a play lot of, the first one there's you, not a extra work you need to do on exactly. the computer you just slap editing. it into the program cut in between with where it's the same motion kind of thing you just yeah. slap those two together and then it's seamless oh yeah 
That sounds uh, cool. It, yeah. No, that, I, that pan really hides the motion of ex- everything. Exactly. Oh. It was, uh, and I used it in another project where, again, I, uh, I think this is something I, I need to learn, but I'll touch on that in a second. Um, I was the main actor in the scene again, but this time it, it's a little more um, forgivable because it was a mirror scene. So uh, if you recall from the first Spider-Man movie, where Willem Dafoe, Green Goblin, is talking to the Green Goblin in the mirror, and it's like panning back and forth between the two of them. So outside of the mirror, it's Norman, like kind of like confused and talking to Green Goblin, and then you pan back, uh, and it's Green Goblin in the mirror doing all the mannerisms and talking different and stuff. Oh, is it Green Goblin in full outfit, and then Willem Dafoe? Just no, he's normal? he's what it, it's. It's more like the personality switch, like so fast on the fly. Oh, which is, I gotcha. Uh, so I guess it's more um, the mannerism switch immediately. Yeah, it's more. It's more. Um, it's more on the actor. Yeah, more on the else. actor than it is on the on the camera, I suppose. But it's it's still a good usage of it. But those are the those are the, the swish pan. Yeah, I really like swish pan. I really like spinning shots. I really like uh, following shots as well, where you just take the camera and follow oh somebody a specific walking? actor yeah yeah a specific actor because you can have everything going on in the back everything anything can be happening in the back does that need continuity as well if you're doing multiple takes and if you're shooting like over i guess 12 minutes so like 1917 uh it's a war film uh set in world war one where uh a messenger is being sent to uh, the front lines because uh, and the message is he's telling them to not push forward not not uh, move out of the trenches because the Germans haven't left the area they've just laid low and they're planning just to kill them all so he has to get this message to them before they rush the line and and go and get killed basically um, but the whole thing is is a following shot Oh, uh, from the messenger getting the message and then getting to the front line? Yes. Yeah, we follow him the whole film. The whole film. And there are few moments where, because you can't film a whole thing. You can't do that. It's impossible. I mean, maybe it's possible if you have just this humongous, because it was filmed, uh, I believe, on film. Which, unless you've got just this humongous role of film... You're not gonna get it. You're not gonna be able to do that. So you had to cleverly cut. They might have like someone walk past the lens. That's where they cut it. Oh, and to then black they, it out for a half yeah, a sec. Yeah, exactly. So mm. they can mash that together. Um, so if you're doing something like that, where the whole film is following, or it's an extended sequence of following, where like the actor needs to take a break, you know, in between shots you can't go for 12 minute intervals like wait so is 12 minutes the maximum amount that a film uh no not on not on a film i guess not with a film camera a film camera could be uh the bigger the roll the longer time you have basically but it's clunky right so (laughs) so usually it's a, a smaller stint kind of thing but if it's something digital 12 minutes that's when it cuts off a digital camera is when it cuts off eventually after 12 to to 30 minutes but if you have like a 30 let's say a 30 minute segment of following the actor the actor can't 
keep going for 30 minutes and then it's like oh we messed something up we have to restart the whole thing kind of thing you, it's cl- you need to have checkpoints exactly throughout throughout the shots somewhere if you're doing something extended but if it's something short then it it doesn't matter you can just so like a like a th- i usually i don't usually do them too long but like a two minute following thing i think is the longest i've done and you just start from the beginning if you mess something up or if something doesn't go right because it's only it's only two minutes as opposed to walking or back 30 minutes whatever the hell you were doing to go to the same the start position kind of thing so we got the swish pan that spiral spin yeah the spinny i don't even know what you call it it's just spinning and following shots and yeah following shots what shots don't you enjoy i don't know i i don't think i actually have a shot that i dislike there's just ones that i like more than others kind of thing it's more of a, like a scale oh. rather than a than a dislike oh what's at the bottom it's gonna get personal um <laughs> okay wes anderson i oh my god i hate wes anderson's like quirky weird he makes his actors worse because <laughs> he, he just wants them to be oh, weird and quirky and whatnot just let like it's normal people dude just be normal <laughs> And like symmetry is a huge thing with him. I don't like because what he does is he does these like medium long shots with like, I guess in Grand Budapest Hotel is the one I specifically do not like for this. There's like three windows that are perfectly symmetrical and perfectly aligned. And it's oh, within sh- the frame. Yeah, within the frame. Okay. And it's shot at like just such a plastic distance you know what i mean like it just it's it's a it's an all right distance it just feels so artificial and fake and you I don't set know. this up this is, doesn't do anything for the story exactly. you just put it in to put you it just in. put it in there because it looks cool to you and what is cool to him is wonder bread like it's it's <laughs> it's just white bread plain toast no butter even so you feel this gentleman is ge- i think generic. wes Ander- i think wes anderson is the most boring filmmaker that i've ever seen okay if, and he's a director oh yeah okay. he's a very popular director too so i i frequently get torn a new one for <laughs> for not liking his stuff i don't i swear though it's like the most like uninteresting but it's your, it's also you have a different lens you look through because yeah. you know you have more knowledge. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. So it's all it's all well it's all very again it's all very personal it's all very subjective because it's art. Yeah. You know you can't can't objectively state something about art unless you're the creator of it. Like for example my I'm gonna go back to my fifth assignment my final assignment is my best my best work out of that class. It f- me I am the man that created it. And I say that it's about getting over something like overcoming personally. It's about um, getting over an addiction to something. You don't really have to be addicted to something to sort of um, show what you think about it. So I'm personally not getting over an addiction, but addiction has been a big part in my family. So I figured I'll talk about it. And then there are other people in the class it's like it's per i'm i'm perfectly fine with them 
like coming up with their own meaning for it. I even said, it's like, I would like if you come up with your own meaning for it. Um, but they came up with some of the meanings were just so generic and wrong. <laughs> like, it's just like, you sound offended. <laughs> a, a little, um, someone literally took it completely at face value and was like, it's about a guy going through a, a building and stopping other versions of himself from doing weird things. Oh, so he took it literally. L- yes. Completely in the face. Like, okay. Nothing yeah. deep, nothing penetrated past that. I wonder what lens that guy has to look things through. Yeah. yeah I okay. have no clue. Uh, <laughs> What made this your best work? I think the editing was on point. The soundscape was uh, really good. I did uh, chose perfect music for it. I like the metaphor of it too. I like the metaphors. I like everything about it, I think. That's why it's my best work. If, If there's something you don't like about it, it's not your best work. Oh, so everything. That's the way I see it. If there is, if there is, if there is something you don't like, that's not to say if you think that there's something that could have been improved. It's a specifically, if it's something you don't like, I don't think it's your best work. If like, if you yourself find something that you actively dislike about your work, it's not your best work. I like basically everything in there. Oh, so you can stand behind every decision uh, yes. in that production. Yes, it was all... It, yeah, in, in making that, I spent majority of my time before even filming planning everything out to the end like so you had the whole idea before you even started yes yeah how long have you been able to do that i think i i honestly it's the moment i hear the details of an assignment like what it requires i immediately come up with something like i immediately start coming up with something and working on it and then i work on that the mind version of it to its completion. And then I go and make it. And so when you say the mind version of it, it's in your mind. Yes. And then what's the completion? Where, where are we going from there? The mind version has uh, two versions, I guess. So version one is in my own head. I can see the whole, and I, and once I see the whole thing in my head, we go into version two where I write it uh, and draw it down. So other people can understand it just as well. Because that's a thing I've learned when it comes to film. You need people. You need lots of people. As many people as you can get. Always. Even if someone feels like they're useless or seems like they're useless, like a construction like job where guys just kind of stand around and like watch another guy do something, <laughs> they're useful. They're useful. They, don't even, they might not even know it yet, but they have a part that they need to play. And before then... And I think this year has really proved that I need to bring as many people as I can whenever I make my stuff because my work has suffered because I've, I don't like bothering people. So I'm just kind of like, I'll do it on my own kind of thing. So no one man show. You need a whole crew you and need as many a, yeah. as you can get. You need a crew. Yeah. As exactly. many as you can get? I would prefer it with as many as I can get, but um, because it just makes my job easier. Uh, as so what, what's it make easier? Well, if you're the director, it's less work on you because if someone isn't doing a job, that responsibility turns to you. 
What was the, what are maybe all the, not, what are maybe, all the jobs that needed to be filled? Maybe not in the, maybe not in the real world, but for me and especially within school, if someone else isn't doing it and it's your idea, it's up to you to do it. So like sound, there has to be a dedicated sound person who carries the gear around and whatnot. There has to be a dedicated cameraman. There has to be actors there. There has to be, um, lighters, like people who like hold lights. If you need lights, you can't just like, I, cause I, again, if I was the one man show, I would have had the sound recorder in my pocket with the mic, like on top of the camera, I would have had a light in my hand and camera, if not on a tripod in my hands, just going and filming that kind of thing. You can't do that. Just, just make it easier on yourself and give some of these things to other people. Yeah. There's a lot that goes into it. So oh yeah. They have dedicated. So what's the, you need a light even if you're outside. Oh yeah. Oh, especially if you're outside, you need to be able to control your light. So you also need blockers and stuff like that. So, cause if, if it's too overexposed, like if it's really sunny out and you're filming in the middle of that street there, let's, let's say your road, it doesn't have a lot of coverage, right? Yeah. Tree coverage. If you're filming out there, it's probably going to be overexposed. So you might want to have someone or someone with a stand holding something that can black out just a little bit of light from the sun. Yeah. Like so cast, casting to... some shadows. You need oh, to be able to so cast you need some a little shadows. bit of shadow to yeah. work with. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, of course you can fiddle with your settings if it's a digital camera and, and yeah, you can fiddle a little bit with a, a actual film camera, but there's only so much you can control. Yeah. And the sun's pretty powerful. Exactly. Exactly. Nothing, nothing man-made <laughs> can exactly beat the sun when it comes to, um, controlling light. And of course, if you're indoors, you need to control light as well. And it, it, I mean, being indoors, it's a lot easier to control light because it's as simple as like yeah. flipping a switch. And then you should also get your hands on some sort of gels, which are like just like different colored kind of like filament things that you can just put on top over top of a light and it casts a different color of light. Oh, when would you want to use that? Uh, if you're filming a night scene, but can't go outside to do it, uh, you can film it in a studio and just use a blue light because it's a naturally cooler light and it looks like it's outside. Oh, interesting. But it's at night. Yes. It sets. Yeah. So I suppose the best example of it is in the movie Get Out, uh, directed by Jordan Peele. There is a scene at night, which it's all blue because it also signifies to the audience that it's night as well. And just is, sort of subconsciously, you're like, oh, it's it's a cooler kind of light. It's not bright like that or bright like the sun. Okay. It's blue. It's kind of cool yeah, tones. It's not, it's not warm. Exactly. It's blue. It's colder. And yeah. And you get the idea that it's, it's night. It's night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I guess I guess a um a specific sort of light engineer might not be as useful of a job in the future because. In the film Nope, which is another Jordan Peele movie, it's the new his newest movie. All of the night scenes they filmed them during the day, so and they, they just color graded it in editing. Oh, so in on editing the they just changed the they changed like the the hues and like saturation and made it blue instead of like the daylight color. Really? Yeah. So everything was filmed during, during the, the day. day. Everything was filmed during the day. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really cool, but I feel bad for like the guys who it, their entire job is to control light. 
because now editing software has clearly gotten to the point where you can change what time of day it is in editing. Like, it's crazy. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. It's yeah. a huge deal. Yeah. So I, what I, else has changed? If you want to go for the list of changes, I think the first biggest change to film was sound. Sound changed everything. Because now people were taking their time. They were allowed to talk. They were able to talk. And and then I think actually I guess the first the first thing that changed was um, a hand crank. You didn't need to manually crank a camera anymore, so you could just crank it up, wind it up, flip it over, and then press the button, hold it down the button. So then, so the reason all of the old timey silent films, like a majority of them, have weird frame rate, like where everyone moves really fast in them. You know what I'm talking about? Where yeah, it's just something. It's you just get kinda, that old time if you want really fast. It. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's, it's because it's, really it's hand cranked. It's because it's hand cranked, so it's a different. Um, oh, by a human frame. doing this. It's a different, yeah, it's a different frame rate uh, as opposed to the next generation of cameras. Probably not the next generation, but you know. Like, but the mo- more the, modern the, the more The more modern one uh, when it comes to film. A more modern one where you crank it up like fully and then sort of just flip the lever up out of the way so that you're not hitting it and then press holding down a button so that it runs through sort of automatically at a set frame rate. Yeah. So so then you so then so I think originally it was hand hand cranked, then it was um cranked and then run um instead of both happening at the same time. And then so that was so that was the control over um proper natural looking movement and then it was sound where now things aren't quiet, people are allowed to talk, they can say what they feel, they can explain things easier than they can in those little cards that <laughs> pop up every time. Yeah, and, and, and by then an audience has also matured as well cause, because you don't have to explain everything to them now because they can see it. But before, I don't know why, old films just have this huge tendency to just explain everything with these cards it's so annoying. Oh, they're it's telling you instead of showing you. Ex- when it's there, it's yeah. there in the camera. Oh, you wait, can... no, they're telling you and showing you. Exactly. <laughs> it's so annoying. It's like a kindergarten class. Every film was like show and tell, show and tell. Like it's just, you can, I can see it there. But that's my modern audience. So I guess the old audience was like, just not, or it maybe clicking. the director felt he needed to, felt, he or she needed yeah, to spell it out. Yeah, something like that. Maybe it, I don't know. It was, I don't know. It's annoying to me, at least, as, yeah, as a okay. modern modern fella. So then we got sound now. The frame rate is consistent. Yeah. And then yeah. they're on film. Uh, yeah, and by this point, I think, by this point, you've also, like you said, you've got directors that, that can trust an audience. So like people like Orson Welles, where like to this day, people are still discussing what Rosebud what he meant by rosebud in in Citizen Kane, like it, it could be could be anything, right? But yeah. he trusted the audience to like figure it out, come to their own conclusion, figure it out. He didn't need to explain it. Yeah. Um, fun fact: Orson Welles, legendary director, his last role was voicing Unicron on trans in Transformers nineteen eighty six, the animated movie. How long has he been doing voice acting for? Voice acting actually a lot longer because he was he did a lot of commercials and stuff. 
in like the 60s through to the the 70s and then obviously he made his films as well um in the 50s and some in the 60s but then he hated how much big studios tried to change things about his movies to make them more profitable so then he was like screw you i'm not going to work with any of you i'm going to make it on my own and then he did make one on his own and then it made him bankrupt because <laughs> he didn't make like any money back on it. I don't know why he never released it. I think one of, one of his films was like a huge, just an absolute drain of money. Like he spent like a bunch of money on it, but then didn't release it or something. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the reason, that's the reason he did commercials. Cause he was basically broke. Okay. <laughs> so he kept doing that to yeah. stay afloat. Yeah. I gotcha. uh, it's a little sad, but whatever yeah. like happens. Hey, what have you learned from film that you transfer over to your day-to-day life? I guess film itself, it doesn't really matter when it started. I think it might have started in grade eight. So, (laughs) exactly. It's it's, uh, kind of a weird time for it to start happening then. But I guess, you know, other people are kind of coming into their, their own as people. But in grade eight was when... I realized, or not not realized, I had kind of known subconsciously about it, but I think grade eight was when I really started paying attention to the fact that everyone's living their own movie. You can you can either choose to be their main antagonist or you can just be a side character. Like, you can't make yourself the main character of their film because it's them. You just let them do their own thing. Um, and grade eight is when I when I really realized that like some other people are like, they're going through it, man. Like some people have some tough lives, but that's part of their movie. It's not my business and I'm not going to insert myself or, or make their life hell to benefit my own movie kind of thing. How'd you learn that at such a young age? I don't know. It's just morals, (laughs) basic (laughs) morals in the lens of film. Okay. I think it's just, you know, you don't, you don't go around ruining yeah, lives of course, of or aspects of a life yeah. you know just because it benefits you in some way unless you have uh like a, a sort of antisocial condition of some kind you don't go around just causing havoc in people's lives kind of thing which i will admit it did take a lot of people longer to do that like they figured it out like maybe grade 11 at the earliest <laughs> like because like i don't know kids are cruel right but then they don't realize that it kind of ends up, it always ends up coming back to bite you in the ass. Like if you are a dick to someone, it's generally not going to go over well for you. You're going to get screwed over eventually, if not by the same person, somebody who knows them or somebody who is just going to treat you how you treated other people. It's it's just that same, it's the thing of treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah. That's all. That person may be treating somebody else that way, but maybe they treat everybody that way. So clearly, the way you do anything generally is the way you do everything. Exactly. I think yeah, I think I think later on is when I realized that the people to be avoided are the people that treat everyone like that. Everyone like they're just tools. Uh tools in their sandbox kind of thing, like just kind of waiting to be used and kind of treated like garbage. Those are the people that you really avoid in life. <laughs> yeah, but, definitely. Um, but everyone's been been a dick before, you know. I was I'm not a very I was not a very nice dude in high school. I'll admit it. I was kind of a dick, 
because one of my buddies was, uh, you know, not the brightest bulb. Um, and he would say something and I would call him out on it, like unnecessarily harshly, like a little too hard, you know? So I, I don't know. I was kind of a dick in high school. What made you change? Just growing up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I think going, I said it to my other friends when I came back, right? Um, going to university really puts into perspective just how shitty people in high school are. Cause you... You go to uni, you meet all of these people. They're just like you. They're and maybe not in the interests that they have, maybe not in in the life experiences. They're just like you in the fact that they're just here to learn and they're they're alone like everybody else, especially if you're moving cities, which a lot of people do. A lot of people move out of the city to go to different university. A lot of people you meet, they're on the same level as you. No one's head honcho kind of thing you're all at an equal level and so there's no egos getting in the way of of like oh i'm the, the kind of a fresh start exactly exactly it's the fresh start that allows people to kind of take in take stock of what they were before and what they want to be in the future and a lot of people a lot, not all. A lot of people grow out of that high school mentality. The way I describe high school mentality, it's just everyone wants to be head honcho. Like whether they like to admit it or not, but in high school you want to be cool and the king of your life and like the leader, like the main guy, you know? Because you haven't realized that you're a side character in everyone else's film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's I, I, a great way to put it though. I think, yeah, just because I realized it in grade eight does not mean that I followed along with it completely. Yeah, but that was the first part. But that, yes, exactly. It was the first kind, because I, in grade eight, I took on, because, oh man, gonna get into the whole life thing here. So, in, so after, in grade three, I moved from Saskatoon to Regina. Complete change for me. So grade four through to halfway through grade seven, I lived in Regina. And I was like king of the hill. Like there was just like all my friend group. I was the leader kind of thing, if you want to call it that. You know, I would just lead us whenever we're doing activities. It would lead us to do games, new games and all that kind of thing. Just, you know, like leader as much of a little kid can be. <laughs> yeah. And I fell into that role and I was perfectly fine with being that role. And I was actually quite happy with that role of being, oh, the leader. I'll lead the group. They follow my orders. That's fine. I moved back halfway through grade seven to Saskatoon. Everyone there, the moment I even attempt to like give them something to do. Nah. Full resistance. Nah, full resistance. Full resistance. No, not at all. Nobody. Nobody was the leader. Nobody. There was. It oh, was there was no leader. There was period. no leader, period. So what was Nobody. happening then? Well, because that's a complete change. That's a complete like. Well, it's like, I remember you all from, because I went to the same elementary school. I came back to the same elementary school, and I was like, well, I remember you all from, like, <laughs> grades one through three. I don't recall there never being a leader, like, because there was one guy, but he moved away. So then there was no leader, and that's the way it was for, like, however many years I was gone. <laughs> then what happened? So then that stopped happening, but then people would like just sort of naturally sort of like come to someone for advice, you know, and I help them out. Like, cause 
it was it was kind of weird. Although I was really connected with with that group of kids from Buena Vista, I was always kind of on the outside looking in because I had come back so late. I had come back so late in in their elementary lives to where like I was the side character side character kind of guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like um I think my two so majority of the guys in the in the class were into sports and whatnot and I'm not particularly interested in whatever sports that they wanted to play. I like swimming, I like boxing, I like you know like the, the kind of non green yeah, solo sports. sports. Yeah, solo sport. Um I'm into that. They weren't doing that. <laughs> Obviously, especially not boxing. They're not doing boxing in in school. So I don't I didn't never really hung out with them. But then, so my friends Terry and Max, geniuses, literally, like not not even like no sugarcoating it, straight up, like they were geniuses. They were doing like university level calculus for fun <laughs> and <laughs> like right, building good. rockets and whatnot. So I was on. like, I was like that the wealthy investor kind of guy. I would give them the bottles and the vinegar and the and the baking soda. Like I would just give them all the things that they needed, and and we would we would. Like they obviously enjoyed my company, but I was certainly not nearly as smart as them, so I couldn't relate to them on a level because they're little kids and they're very. This is in grade eight. Very high and mighty about their intelligence. Well, this yeah, is in grade eight. Yes, and they're doing uni level calculus. Terry, man, and Max. Yeah, they were nuts. Like they're seriously nuts. Like, All right, I gotta fact check this later. But I, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know, man. He because his sister was in university. Terry's sister was in university, so he would take her. She, she like he would take her textbook right and look at it. I don't know. He was just like he just wanted to learn. Like where is he now? Everything. Where is he now? Uh, he's probably at home, uh, getting high. <laughs> oh, oh, so what happened? Uh, you know, it's it's a like it's that gifted kid kind of pressure, which was put on him eventually because it's like because other people started to clue in. It's like oh, you're smart. You're going places. You're going places. Whenever whenever people are over your shoulder, in your ear, constantly saying, oh, you're going to go somewhere. You're going to go somewhere in life. It just gets in your head, right? And you think, oh, my God, I can't do this. And it's pressure. It's pressure. So that happened for Terry. That didn't happen for Max. So you get to see both sides of the, of the gifted kid. Where's Max now? Route. Max, uh, he is... I believe Terry is in uni, but he's, I don't know if he's doing as, as like stellar as Max, but Max is like f just going off and flying. Like he's just like, he's just doing a bunch of, he's crushing it right now. Yeah, exactly. And Max exactly. had no pressure. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't like a ton of pressure put on Max. And if there was, he could handle it, you know? Um, and I, and I, I don't like, I, I don't like talking about their business kind of thing, but it's important to know, you know, uh, Terry, he really gifted guy, really gifted guy. Um, but I don't know. At some point, there was just too much on him, and it broke him. Well, it's a lot of pressure it, to be put it is. on it a is. young kid. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Um, like he, I think he was doing it because he liked doing it at first. But then people noticed that he was good at it, and then they started like making him do it. Oh, and yeah. you know, as a kid, it's not nearly as fun when someone's making you do something as it is to just naturally kind of enjoy doing it. Wasn't even his decision anymore. Exactly, yeah. it wasn't up to him. Um, 
so so yeah, that happened. But so I could never really connect with them on on that level. Like yeah, we were close. We were good friends. But intellectually, but intellectually, you felt just a slightly yeah. below. Yeah, no, I was I was I was below them intellectually. So I I was there was like a disconnect, you know. And then obviously not playing the sports with the guys and then you girls like it's <laughs> <laughs> so i was i was kind of you know i was on the on the outside you know i was just kind of watching things happen so people started kind of coming to me because i was essentially the freshest pair of eyes that they were ever going to get looking on a situation uh, as someone their age <laughs> and i would give them advice and that was when i realized i was like okay this person's going through it. This person's going through it. This person has home troubles. This person is like insanely smart. This person is uh, really good at sports. Like this person is like, I would just learn like so many very personal things. It just became easier to empathize, like way easier to empathize with people. Yeah. And that was um, the, around the same time you realized everybody's the main character. Yes, that was the spark. That was the spark. I think is when, when I started giving advice out kind of thing for situations that were pretty mundane but but we're like that meant everything to us kind of thing then we went into high school and i still kind of kept that that weird like phantom status where like i didn't hang out with the jocks i did not hang out with the high school smart kids because they were busy being smart And they really do give you a whole hell of a lot to do if you're a a smart kid in high school. They give you a lot to do. So even if I wanted to hang out with them, they were busy, like majority (laughs) of their life in high school. They were really busy. And so I was left with what other people would call losers or nobodies. And I really connected with those people because they weren't losers. They weren't nobodies. They were going through it just like everyone else. That's what I had realized. So, and I... I was like a magnet to them, you know, like, cause I wanted everyone to be able to, to hang out and do stuff and, and like find their path kind of thing. You're um, willing to accept them. Yeah. 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 Like some, some of them weren't good at sports or weren't even, or, or, or previously were good at sports, but then they had suffered a concussion or something one too many times. They weren't allowed to go do sports anymore. So then they were left with just floating. Um, that actually happened to my buddy Zan. Yeah. He was in hockey uh, as a kid, and he, he liked it a lot. But then he started getting some concussions, and then they wouldn't let him play anymore. So you he was kind of left. Though. He's kind of left with yeah, because it was a huge part of of who he was, you know. Yeah, and, and, a big he, t- and lots of time commitment. What's he oh, filling yeah. the time with now? Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of floating. Um, so yeah, I started connecting with people and bringing them in and it sounds like, I I know, I know it sounds like weird and kind of stupid and like stupidly altruistic for like someone my age. I just wanted to like help people. Like there is, I I just, how's that stupid? Not, no, stupidly altruistic as for someone that age. Cause like everyone that age was just out for them. Uh, generally in high school you're kind of out for you uh and even i was at sometimes but like i just really liked giving them advice like i liked helping them find the path i don't know why i just liked doing that it was enjoyable it was fulfilling it was fulfilling yeah um and then 
And then I started coming into my own of, of, cause I, I always, I had always liked film, but then I was like, this is a crackpot dream. Like this is a pipe dream. Like you're, like it's not, you're not going to be massive in film. Yeah. You might get better as you go and sure. Yeah. You might become somewhat big on like YouTube, but like, you're not going to be like this huge big shot movie maker. Who so says I, so who says this? So I, because it's so hard to get into the industry. So I, and, and in, obviously you're cynical, you're young. <laughs> so I'm thinking like, okay, you know what? Let, let me be more realistic. What else do I really like helping people? Grade 11. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a psychologist. What classes do I need to take? Every math that's available. So you got to play catch up. Great. Fantastic. So I, yeah, I had to play catch up and I failed one of the cl- math classes. So I had to retake it. Um, thankfully I passed with an 80. Okay. That okay. Time, that time, the second go around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was a huge setback, but then I also had my, meanwhile, I'm having my, um, my electives. One of them is digital media 20. And, uh, it was with the robotics, uh, teacher, Mr. Scott. And it was just a uh, digital creation. Like we were animating, we were filming, we were doing all these things and it was such a huge reliever of stress and it was something I really enjoyed. It wasn't until Communications Media 30 where we were filming uh, something for a DSLR assignment, so a camera assignment. We were filming for that and I think I stood there with the camera in my hand and my buddy Nino, who also had a camera, he's across from me, right? because we were filming like a certain shot. And I don't think it was until that I, I stood there with the camera in my hand and my actor, so to speak, in frame, that I was like, I would love to do this for the rest of my life. I would love to do this forever. I love doing this. What do you love about it? Just, I don't even know. It speaks to me. It's like a part of... It's like a shard of my my being. I don't know. It just wraps all in. I I love telling stories. I love um, I love media and I love equipment and things, and it just comes together. Filmmaking and I and I was it just that is the full package of the things that I love and the things that are so part of my being myself as I am. It just they're so ingrained in me and that field of work is the pinnacle of what I would love to do what I love doing already what I've been doing like yeah it's already designed for something you enjoy I've I've I I had been doing YouTube all these years since since grade five <laughs> I had been doing YouTube and it was there in the back and it's like I love making my little videos I love doing that and then in high school, when it became an idea to become, make it a career, it was like, that's, it's not going anywhere past this. I guarantee it. It can't be because it, I, it's so hard to get into the industry. I can't get mainstream enough. Like it won't happen. I'll struggle to find a job. I'll starve. I'll die. <laughs> so then I was, so then I, yeah, I just kept doing my YouTube things with it in the back of my head that like, I'm never going to be able to do this as like my job for life. 
And, and that wasn't like a sad thing, but it certainly didn't help with the stress of my second options. So I, I had decided to do these other options, which I still, I do love and I really still am interested in, but it's not my calling. It wasn't, it, it hit me, but it wasn't like the, mm. Yeah. That I get from film. You get the, you have, you're excited to continue with film. Exactly. Yeah. And it was there. And then I I was like, what have I got to lose? Like, (laughs) screw it. And I was like, I, I think that that's when it started the inkling. I was like, I would love to do this forever. And then the end of the year was coming up. People were talking about being registered for uni, like already, like in April. And I was like, Man, I didn't know you had to register that early. And I hadn't registered at all because I was still on the fence of like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then it was, before I knew it, it was it was end of year stuff was coming up. Uh, I think, honestly, grade 12, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I peaked, but it was one of my peaks. Like it was straight up, like one of the best times of my life. Uh, especially the second half was just amazing. I, I had, uh, I had, it, it, I, I think another part of it was when I, when it finally clicked, it's like, I'm going to do film forever. I'm going to do film was when I, I have this series on YouTube called Oingo Boingo with Keevan and Nino. So Nino's like my best friend, right? So we have this series and it's just basically us shooting the shit um, and enjoying each other's company and like doing something. Generally a scheme. And uh, I was filming the third episode of it. I was like, because I hadn't filmed one, an Oingo Boingo episode in like four months at this point. I was like, screw it. Let's, let's make an episode of Oingo Boingo with Keevan and Nino. And I had heard over the intercom the week prior that the valedictorian was like, there there was elections for the valedictorian. And uh, I was like, wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) So I made a video that, that covered the beginning of the process to become a candidate. And I loved it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Cause, cause people, other people are getting to hear this cool story. And if it ends tragic, it ends tragic. And if it ends glorious, it ends glorious. It's, it's, it could go either way. So then I was like, I filmed the next one where I had become a candidate. I had like, I had gotten the signatures from the teachers that I needed. I got the signatures from the reputable students I needed, which was like the plot of the first, the first episode in this like three episode arc. Um, yeah, the, th- the first episode in the three episode arc, the first one is me getting, becoming, uh, uh, a candidate and so i need to get signatures from a bunch of people that's the plot of that one then we move on i'm a candidate in the second one and now it's campaigning uh, i think the episode is literally called the campaign trail where i printed off posters and flyers and figured out how to run a campaign and did that and posted it um and i loved making that episode too and then episode five the final episode in the arc the big day i gave my speech my um uh candidate speech to uh, the theater full 
of the rest of the grade 12 class. And I'm like, I'm up against like a guy who has been like the head honcho politician guy of our entire high school life this far and other really good candidates. I was up against like some pretty heavy competition and I'm this nobody. I'm like the phantom that's kind of walking the halls. I know everybody. I don't hang out with anybody except other nobodies. So I go up there and I do my speech, which is about the valedictorian, which I think is kind of a, a stupid idea to begin with. Like having, having one student who is excelling be the guy that like, oh, or at least four years have been wonderful to, to know all of you. Like, it's like you haven't, you, you are not acknowledging the other people in the school you're just acknowledging the excellence of the people that are amazing at school like my friends who were nobodies they were excellent at um, like amazing things so good at so many different things but not all of them were school related so i didn't think it was fair that these people and including people with like people who are struggling with having like holding down a job or a mental health struggle I did not think it was fair that they go unacknowledged completely. So I wrote an entire speech about how if the valedictorian is just a title and it shouldn't be given to somebody who's being held above us as like this amazing exemplary student, it shouldn't be that. It should be a nobody, somebody who, who can speak for all the people that are forgotten, that feel left behind in life, all these people, that should be who is the valedictorian. So that was my speech. And, and I waited. They had us wait. Like, they just go back to class after, after the whole thing. People voted in the theater right after the thing. And they had us go back to class. And I stood there and I just paced for like 10 minutes in the photo room until I heard over the intercom, would the candidates for valedictorian please come to the office? We all went to the office, and I found out that I had won. Oh, yes! Yes! <laughs> I had found out that I had won, and the rest, and I, I was fucking over the moon. I was over the moon. And the rest of the episode was me and the main people who had helped me get to where I was. We went to Fuddruckers, and we ate and celebrated. And that was the rest of the episode. It, like the first like 10-ish minutes is is becoming valedictorian. And then the rest of it is like 20 minutes is just us celebrating. Um, Dude, you nailed it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I had all of this, these three episode arc was just like, I was like, this is amazing. This is like film amazement. Like this is just awesome. And then I was like, fuck it. And I, and like, I like applied for the U of R late for film, film production. I was like, screw it. Okay, whatever. Um, so then I was, yeah, I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like, this is cool. That's like, perfect. I want to do this. So I became, so yeah, the peak of my high school career was becoming valedictorian, choosing to go with film, the thing I love. Um, I got to use a Mustang for my <laughs> grad, uh, which was awesome. And uh, I, got my first girlfriend which was pretty awesome too um but those were all pretty minor in comparison to the finding the thing that i loved and and choosing to go with the thing i loved 
And that was a great story. Here we are. Yeah. So is there anything I haven't asked you? I, I can't think of anything. All right, man. Well, should we call it? Sure.